Good physics day, everyone. Up to this point, I would say that the first 18 episodes of Physics Alive were all on topics that I felt pretty comfortable with and could claim some working knowledge of. That ends today, as I step into topics where I have much to learn. The topics of inclusion and identity. I gained so much from my guest today, and I hope you will too. We also talk about our awesome science communication podcast, Spark Science, which you should absolutely check out. Learn about some of the episodes and what my guest hopes to accomplish with their show. But first, let's hear the handpan music. Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from the teachers, researchers, students, and professionals who explore innovative learning, motivate new curricula, apply physics in their careers, and encourage an inclusive and healthy classroom environment. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Regina Barber de Graff, Senior Lecturer and STEM Inclusion and Outreach Specialist at Western Washington University. She earned her master's in physics at San Diego State University and her PhD in physics at Washington State University, studying distant extragalactic globular clusters using the Hubble Space Telescope. She rejoined her undergraduate institution, Western Washington, as an instructor in the fall of 2013. During these formative years, she was committed to her involvement with SACNIS, the Society for Advancement of Chicanos, Hispanics, and Native Americans in Science. After just two years at WWU, she proposed that there should be a central person in the College of Science and Engineering who would support underrepresented students and faculty in the college, and this became the STEM Inclusion and Outreach Specialist role that she holds today. Around the same time, she also found her way into the field of science communication and media production. Since 2015, Regina has been the host of the podcast Spark Science. The show's tagline is Exploring Stories of Human Curiosity. She wants to make science more accessible and less intimidating, and feels the best way to humanize a scientist is to share stories that include a scientist's background, humor, and struggles, as well as their work. Hello, Regina, and welcome to Physics Alive. Uh, Let's start with a moment of gratitude. Uh, Who has been a cherished mentor in your life and career, and what role have they played in your growth and trajectory? I think I think I have different mentors for different phases in my life. And like one of the first mentors I've ever had was um, Dr. Kristen Larson. And she um, is a professor at Western Washington University, where I teach now, actually. And she had just finished her PhD when I started at um, Western as like an 18-year-old. And um, I don't know if your listeners know too much about Washington state, but there's a program called Running Start and you can basically go to community college in high school. And I hated my high school. So I kind of hung out at community college, hung out at the local university right before I went to Western. So I knew her as she was like right after her PhD. So she was like 28 young woman physicist, you know, and, and I started working with her as the first research I ever did. And she was um, so supportive. And then I, you know, grew up and, now she's my colleague. And it's so weird to have somebody who is like your mentor now be your colleague. And um, my first year working back at, at, well, the first year I started at Western, she would introduce me as like, oh, this is Regina Barbara DeGraff. We just hired her. She's brilliant. And she was my first research student, you know, and, I, and that's how she was like introducing <laughs> me. So yeah, she really, she really, um, 
um, stoked, you know, like the, you know, the passion that I had for astronomy. She really helped me cultivate that. And I was a really like self-assured kid. <laughs> like I really, I came from a small town. I was like big fish, little pond. And she really helped me like figure that out and uh, not be so conceited <laughs> in a fun way, in a nice way, not in a like putting down kind of way. This, in this podcast, we're going to be kind of focusing on on two, dis, I guess, distinct pieces, but I suspect we're going to see that they they are very interrelated, uh, which is the, um, the, the work on inclusion outreach that you do, and then also your podcast. So uh, we're, we're going to start with the, this, the equity and inclusion work. So a clear theme through your education and career is involvement in equity and inclusion work. Would you be willing to share some of the experiences in your life that have helped shape that career interest and your goals there? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of fell into it, right? Because what I wanted to do when I was growing up is I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Like I was obsessed with it. And I, and I, and I did, right. I got a PhD in physics and, and I think when I do inclusion work and I, I still am doing it and I, I haven't done any like, you know, physics or astrophysics research in about almost a decade, you know, at this point, but I think people forget that like, that's not what I went into science for. I didn't go into science so that I could, talk about racism and sexism and transphobia. I didn't do that. Right. I, I fell into doing that because of who I was, right. Cause nobody else was talking about it and because hmm. it's a problem and, um, and I was angry, right. Like I'm a pretty charismatic person. I w I was the physics student that like forced people to study together. I was the physics student that, you know, my white male colleagues would come up to me and be like, I don't want to talk to the, the secretary, can you talk to her for me? I <laughs> like I, I was, I was their voice. Right. And, and so like, I, I'm kind of outgoing. And like I said earlier, um, I was really, again, big fish, little pond. I thought I was a genius in a really small town. So I had that going for me to kind of combat all the, you know, the racism and sexism that I dealt with as, you know, being, being a Mexican Chinese, you know, person in a small, you know, in Northwest uh, Washington, and so like I had, I kind of had to go into inclusion and outreach because no one else was helping, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Like you, you have to make a path for yourself. And, and once I started making a path for myself, I started to realize if somebody wasn't as loud as me, wasn't as charismatic, wasn't as ex extroverted, then they would be lost. So who, who is actually helping them and who is helping people like me, but try to figure out the system and like, um, you know, how do you get scholarships? How do you get somebody to be your research advisor? You know, all that kind of stuff. Who, who are the people you can talk about this stuff and not be shut down all the time? So I started working at Western and I think I was like 33. And, you know, I, I look slightly younger than I am. And um, I wasn't getting a lot of respect from the students. And uh, I remember in, in a faculty area with other, other professors, I said, you know, I think I'm not getting any respect because I look young, I'm a woman, and I'm not white. And my colleagues, my white colleagues looked at me and said, it's the first two, it's not the last one. It's not because you're not white. And they just shut it down. Hmm. You know, and so like, that's why I do inclusion, right? Because no one else is going to, and that's not a good reason. But <laughs> but that's why. Well, and I, I hope what we're starting to see is that 
that there are more people having those conversations and, and willing to engage in that. Uh, if there's one one good thing that came from the Trump administration, it's it riled us up. <laughs> I will say this. A lot of my colleagues at the start of the um, when Trump was elected, um, again, a lot of my white colleagues came to my office and they said, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this. And I said, I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and a lot of people of color have been saying that, um, and like we've seen this, we we've seen the racism. We 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 know what he, as a politician, really tapped into, and it makes complete sense to us. But um, I I worry I worry a lot because I think once um, President Biden is elected, I think there is this tendency to want to forget. There's a tendency to just be like, everything's okay, let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. And that happened with President Obama, and I'm worried that it will slowly happen with President Biden as Trump starts to slowly, you know, not be in the news anymore. Uh, a comment that that one of my, my friends has made in the past, and it's stuck with me for so many years, and she, she considers herself a, a feminist, we were having a conversation about about some of these topics once, and she said, "If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem." And yeah, it, it was something that was kind of a dagger to me at the time, and I thought it couldn't be true. And I think I resisted it for for probably yeah. years. And at this point, I'm fairly convinced. I think she's right. I think <laughs> if if I'm not doing if I'm not doing anything, then I'm just allowing the system to continue as it is. And right. and I don't. I don't want to be part of that system. I want to be part of the change. So, uh, so, I, so I am looking to do something. So I'm curious what it sounds like. You immediately agreed with that, with yeah. that statement. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we we I don't hold all the identities, right? Like, I yes, I'm you know not white and a woman, and uh, I was first generation college student and all that kind of stuff. But I am not a black person. I am not a trans person. I am not you know um, part of the queer community or um, you know, I'm able-bodied, like I, I do have these privileged identities, right? So it's not like I suddenly am aware of everything and that, and, and so I have problems too. Like I have to catch myself and be like, you know, am, am I biased to that? Do I, do I think this is normal and they're not like, I have to check, check myself too. So I think of it like, I think a lot of my colleagues, this is the first time they thought like, oh wait, you know, I'm privileged and they feel bad about it. But like, you got to slowly work through that and and then be like, Mm -hmm. then what can I do? Right? Like, what do I have power for? Like in that scenario that I just said, when I was talking about how I don't think I was respected because I look young because I'm a woman and because I wasn't white. And somebody was like, no, it can't be because you're not white. You could have been in that room be like, yeah, I could have, it could be that it could be a lot of things. And that could be one of them. You can't just dismiss what she's saying. Right. Like, right. Yeah. um, I, I was at a party once and um, and this woman I barely knew, like a friend of a friend just came up to me and like, first thing she said was, what are you? And this is in my adulthood. This was only you know, like five years ago. And a white guy sitting next to me, again, didn't know him. He was a friend of a friend. He goes, what do you mean? And he just looked at her <laughs> and, he, and he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I didn't have to stick up for myself, you know, to, ha- to have the people who have those yeah. marginalized identities to have, have to say something. They have to stick up for themselves. They, like me, I have to have this position, right? Um, um, I feel like I have to, I probably don't have to, but I feel like it's my obligation. I think, I think for my white colleagues and for my other colleagues that have, you know, 
dominant identities, like maybe you feel like you should have to, right? You should feel that. But yeah, I agree. I agree with her statement, your friend's statement. Mm-hmm. All right. I will. I don't. She probably won't even remember that she said that to me. But I'm gonna th- definitely validate her and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's overwhelming. I I totally understand, right? Because I think a lot of people, if they they haven't lived this experience, a lot of this information is coming, especially this year. Um, and it's overwhelming. But like, take what you can do, right? Like, like just like we do in science, like narrow it down to achievable tasks. Don't get overwhelmed because as soon as you get overwhelmed, you won't do anything like climate change. Right. So um, just, yeah, narrow down. What can you do? I'm, I'm going to commit to myself that if I see something and it feels wrong, I'm going to say something. Right. So I was gonna say, it sounds like you get to have these conversations quite a bit. Um, all, so all so, so you're the, being the, the STEM inclusion and outreach specialist. So this is a, a role that's meant to cultivate and maintain partnerships with faculty and inclusion programs locally and nationally that are devoted to the recruitment, retention, and support of underrepresented students in STEM. So what are some of the, the big issues you are focused on right now at Western Washington? How, how do you educate and activate members of your community? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. <laughs> um so just to give you some and your listeners some background, it was a it, this position that I have now. It's a part time position. I teach half of the time, so I teach physics and astronomy and some science communication, and then the other half I do this administrative job, and it's a job that I made. So a lot of people will be like, "That's not why they hired you, Gina." For and like, and I'm like, "No, they didn't hire me for this job. It, I start. I was doing volunteer work for about two years, and then I approached the dean and said I should be paid for the things I'm doing. So she was like, "Okay." And then she gave, and then she, we created as a, you know, a partnership. I, I, I presented her with like a, you know, 20 page proposal. And I, w- I was actually just in a group of all uh, faculty of color. And we talked about, we have, whenever we need something as a community, we have to package it in this professional, and I'm doing finger quotes, professional <laughs> way for, to be listened to. Um, and so this job was created and it's all over the place. Like, I don't think after five or six years, I have totally figured it out yet, <laughs> but what I'm involved in is I, I help student clubs, all the student clubs, not just this clubs that are um, focused on, sorry, all the science student clubs, not just the ones that are focused on identity, but just all like chem club, bio club. I, I help with SACNIS, which is a chapter of a national org, which is um, Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. It's a huge org. If your listeners want to know anything about like basically racial inclusion in STEM, they should go to sacnas.org. So S-A-C-N-A-S.org. And they have chapters around. So those are those groups are focused on racial equity in STEM specifically, but I, I deal with all sorts of clubs. We have one event every year where we focus on inclusion in STEM and um, like the event has been as big as like 300 people and we have food and we have a like a headliner. One time we had a a musical artist, you know, one year we had a gallery where we had people um, have take pictures of themselves doing something that wasn't STEM. So it had somebody, you know, um, you know, playing violin, somebody doing ballet, somebody who was like a firefighter. Um, and it was just this gallery of, of you know, our students and our colleagues. Um, I advise on various grants that are focused on inclusion in STEM. I run a program called the Community Ambassadors, which are faculty um, basically embedded in each department. So like a chemistry professor, a biology professor, and each of them are involved in some sort of equity work. Maybe they do seminars, maybe they teach a class in equity, maybe they 
um, are working on some sort of pro program in their department. And uh, I create a cohort where they can learn from each other and then also like be a resource for other people be like, it's like my job, but like on a smaller scale, basically. So you, 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 it sounds like you work a lot with student groups and a comment I've heard thrown around every now and again, and I'm curious what your perspective on it is, is that students in this generation are so much more comfortable than the adults are in talking about oh, yeah. some of these issues. Oh yeah. I will, I would say that it's more visible, the students that are, that can talk about it. Right. And I think they they have more freedom to talk about it. I think when you have leadership who aren't all on the same page, then faculty are a little, and, and staff are scared to talk about it. Right. They don't know what kind of repercussions are going to happen, but as a student, you don't have, you don't work for the university. So I, I, I think, I think that's why I think students have a little bit more freedom. I don't know if it's, I don't know if they're more willing because I've, I've met faculty who were just hired like last year and still know nothing. You know, they, they can't even say they're white, you know, like that's, that's mm -hmm. a surprise for them. So in, in thinking about some of the, uh, the topics that you present on, so uh, a recent virtual workshop uh, that I saw that you co-facilitated in April uh, 2021 was called Microaggressions, Identity and Intersectionality, Recognizing Ourselves in the Academy. Yeah. What were some of the key goals and takeaways from this workshop? Well, it's like we were talking about before, like, um, I think when you have an identity, like, let's say you're a woman and women in the society are not treated very well. That's just a fact um, throughout history. But let's say you're a white woman, you might not understand. Um, you might still have those, um, you know, white supremacist like messages that we all get from society. Everybody gets it. You might still have those like dormant or unconscious in your brain. And you might not be able to relate um, kind of kind of your experiences with experiences of your women of color colleagues. So, for instance, I had um, so that's one of the things I talked about in that um, in that workshop. I tried to have because there was a lot of women at that workshop, white women um, and women of color, but it was majority women at that at that workshop. And I, I talked about how like that stereotype where there's a whole bunch of women around a table. And sorry, it's a whole bunch of people around a, a business table and there's one woman and she says something, everybody ignores her. And then like a guy says what exactly what she said and then everyone hears him. Right. And I had this comic and everyone's like, yeah, that's totally happened to me. And I was like, imagine now everyone's white and there's one person of color. Like that same thing happens. And they're like, Whoa. but you have to make those connections for certain people because I think we forget. Again, I forget that I'm able bodied sometimes. Right. I forget that I'm that. I'm straight. So therefore I have straight privilege. Like I can hold my partner's hand. I can talk about my kid and people aren't like, you know, did you adopt the kid? Like, that's what, you know, my, um, my friends in the queer community have to deal with, like, right. Like who's the, who's the father, who's the mother, right. I don't have to deal with any of that crap. So like you forget where those links between your experiences and somebody else. I'm not saying they're the same. I don't ever want to be like, I'm Irish. I know what it's like to be a person of color, which I have been told many times. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's one-to-one, -one, but you want to utilize your own experiences so you can make those connections. So like, that was one of the things we talked about. We were trying to talk about identity and how complex it is that it has very, we have a lot of identities. We don't have just one. Yeah. A really powerful activity I did once was 
there was a big group of us and we were all we were all given a sheet with a whole bunch of different identities and we had to check off the ones that we sort of attributed ourselves to right and then they had us all line up against the the a wall at the back of the room and said yeah. okay if you identify this step forward step forward step forward step forward and it really gave you the sense of like looking at who stood Actually, I, I think whoever didn't check off something was moving forward and and you saw right. who were the folks who had, in a, in a way, all of these different setbacks, all of these different things that were kind of working against them in our society. And yeah, it was definitely it was definitely an eye opener for myself. Yeah, I've, I've participated in that. And I've actually even led an activity like that. And, mm-hmm. and slow, we've slowly moved away from that because it does mm. open the eyes of people who who have never thought of it. But it just makes people who have thought of it feel like at the back of the line. I remember doing that and I even was facilitating it. I I will take complete responsibility. I facilitated that. I picked it and I was at the back, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we do, uh, because I do facilitate um, workshops focused on race, too. So that's another thing I do in my job. And what we do is we have very similar, the sheet and everything, but and then we have it anonymous. We don't have people's names go on it and we like just switch them all around. Okay. So yeah. you actually have to represent this identity that isn't yours. And it, it doesn't really pinpoint and laser beam people's eyes to the, to the other or the person who's disadvantaged. I will say though, like when, when I do this work and especially in the sciences, I think people, and I think I mentioned this earlier, people do forget that I still am a trained scientist, <laughs> you know, like, like they'll, they'll, I do, I, I'm really worried throughout the last 10 years that I've really been pigeonholed into this, like, um, into this diversity person, right? Like that people of color, they're so great because they can talk about this and they, they, you know, they're good at this, right? And then it kind of makes you forget that they actually are good at science too. I think, I think the one thing I would say to your listeners is, you know, be careful, <laughs> you know, when, when you're, when you're praising your colleague for doing this work. Um, are you praising them because again, they're a white person and doing a little bit of work is equal to like a lifetime of work of a person of color? Are you praising them as a person of color because you think that they're, that's their like role in your department, you know, is that's their only job? Like think, think about those things. I don't think people do it consciously. I don't think people are mostly malicious, but like, it's just like the, where are you from? When people ask you, ask me and ask many Asian Americans, where are you from? They just say, cause I'm curious. Cause I want to learn. I'm like, but do you ask that of white people? I, I listened to a really uh, interesting podcast episode just a couple of days ago from the Ed Surge podcast. And uh, they were, they were talking about who, who is really served by diversity at a university. So yeah. So, so many universities are are trying to get a lot of diversity within it. But basically they they came that there were two two components. There was there could be the moral approach, which is we really want to be helping all people to learn and to have access, equal access to everything. But then there was also the basically it was an opportunity argument, but it was an opportunity right. for all of the white folks at the university to be able to have access to a diverse background, a diverse set of students, because that's what they will see in the world around them. So sort of start practicing early. You have to beware even with, with that, because when we say it helps the white students, then we're centering whiteness. Like it's the white students that we need to help, right? Like, like um, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and when, when we say like, we're going to help so this is another issue. A lot of people do inclusion work. And I think if you're a lot of your listeners are physics professors or teachers, I think a lot of people feel morally, I'm going to help this disadvantaged person. A lot of people equate 
you know, being black or brown as being poor, right? So they, they think that's the same thing. And they're like, well, I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them be more like us. And that's very dangerous, right? So like yeah. if, if, when we think about why do we want to help a population? Why do we want to help a person, a student? Is it because you want to mold them to be like you to fit into academia? Because that's assimilation. So like, are mm. we are we for that? I don't want to be, right? So like, right. I think it's, it's really, it's, it's hard. And that's what, you know, we were talking before we started here about skill, like skill is, it's hard. (laughs) And it's all of this stuff is really hard to learn because you have to think deeply about it. It's like when you're doing physics with your students and they get really frustrated and they're just like, just tell me the equation. We've all had that student. Just tell me which equation to use. And when I teach, um, when I talk, teach those racial equity workshops, people are just like, just tell me what not to say. It's, it's not that easy. You just have to, you have to have practice problems again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to mess up. Mm-hmm. You have to mess up and messing up feels bad. I've messed up with identities that I do not belong, you know, that I do not have communities that I don't belong to. Um, and it's the same with physics. You, in physics, you have to make those connections, right? You have to be able to, um, you know, mess around with that equation for different situations. You, like that's what physics is, right? It's, that's why it's so hard for people because it's just, it's not plug and chug. It's, it's, you have to think deeply about first principles, right? Well, in, when you're dealing with discussions on race, you have to talk, you have to think about what the source of that is. The comment race isn't real. Like a lot of scientists will say that they'll say like, race isn't biologically real. So let's not talk about it. Right. So that's a problem. Right. Because, yeah, it's not biologically real, but it's socially real. Right. Like it's a social construct, just like marriage is a social construct. Money is a social construct. And those are real things that affect people's lives. Right. Um, But it's 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 a shortcut. Right. Like uh, people want to use shortcuts when they're dealing with racial um, just like conversations because it's hard, just like physics is hard. So people want to use shortcuts. So. I think it's something to really think about um, when you're dealing with like resistance or dismissal or frustration. So here, here's an opportunity for you to do a little advertisement for something you'll be involved with in about a week. Uh, so oh, yeah. I was I was actually drawn to your work by an American Association of Physics Teachers email. It advertised monthly webinars that are part of the Sea Change Project, where uh, CSEA stands for STEM Equity Achievement Change. And this initiative is, a, is affecting institutional transformation in support of diversity and inclusion, especially in colleges and universities. So you're co-facilitating a webinar with uh, about community ambassadors quite soon, May 26th, 2021, which hopefully I'll actually get out before <laughs> I'll get my episode out before that happens. Although it's, I, I think that I, I see that some of the videos for these are available online. So yeah. if I, if I miss that, I'll also post the link to that. So I'll post the link in my show notes to the registration page. And then after that's done, I'll get rid of that link and I'll post the link. Hopefully I'll remember, remember to do this. I'll post the link to uh, the videos that are available. Anyway, could you give us a little sneak peek about this webinar and and what folks might learn if they're able to attend it or watch it later? Yeah, I mean, I talked about it a little bit earlier um, in this conversation. I just talked about this idea of community ambassadors. So we have faculty, like I said, um, one or two faculty members that are in each department who kind of do like or represent my job kind of on a smaller scale. So they hold community hours, so um, kind of like office hours. Um, once a week and people can come 
students, faculty, staff, they can all come to this person to talk about the, you know, concerns, feedback, um, ask questions on how to get resources um, as it relates to like inclusion and making a more welcoming community in their department. Um, each of these faculty members gets um, service release. So nobody gets like financially compensated because that was really hard. We really wanted to get this program out, out you know, just ready and started. Um, and all of these faculty, so there's um, about eight this year, they all meet once a week with each other and they kind of learn from each other. What's going on in your department? You know, like, what are you working on? What, you know, what, what lessons did you learn? Oh my God, this happened to me. We are supporting each other. So it's a cohort to share resources, share information, but also just support each other because this work is hard and there's, there's resistance, but there's also just like mental fatigue. You got to hear a lot of stuff that is not super fun. And that's why I like doing my podcast. And that's why I like doing science communication because I think science communication and doing equity work, they have the same goal. They want to show you that anyone can be a scientist, that scientists, science is for everyone. Like that's their goal. Science is for everyone. But when you do equity work, especially as a person of color, you get a lot of resistance. There's a lot of dismissal. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of guilt um, from your audience. But if you do science communication, they're like, ooh, fun, videos, uh, um, podcasts, you know, um, teach me how to do it. You know, I get that response and I get like a more like um, they want to learn from me when I'm doing science communication. But when I do inclusion, people want to like take more. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like it's like the energy levels are different. Like I lose energy by doing inclusion work. I gain mm. energy by doing science communication. Work. Yeah. 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 No. And that's, and that's such an important piece for, for your own lifestyle to know what, what takes the energy and what feeds your energy. And I mean, I'm sure you know how important that, that inclusion work is for the world, but then of course you absolutely need to, to feed yourself with yeah. With something else. So well, this might be respect- a perfect time to segue into talking about your podcast. <laughs> yeah. And the respectability is different. You're valued. You're valued differently as a science communicator than you are as a, an inclusion specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're doing the same thing, really. I, the podcast was awesome. Um, I can tell you how it happened, if that if that, if that is a good story. Yeah, absolutely. So just for folks listening, so you have a podcast called Spark Science, where the tagline is exploring stories of human curiosity. And yeah, yeah, I I read in an interview uh, online that that someone had done with you that you were discovered by a local radio station manager. So I'm curious. (laughs) It's like, oh, you were discovered. Okay. How'd that happen? Oh my God. It it sounds so much more like magical um, (laughs) when you say it. Um, basically, you know, I was on a panel, it was like women in technology panel and it was, it was a community event. So it wasn't at, it wasn't at our university. It was within the community. And, um, I was on this panel with like four other women and, um, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, I, I work for the local radio station. It's a very small radio station. Like you cannot hear it outside of our city limits, you know? Um, and she's like, we're, we want to make more original programming. And would you like to work with me to create a science talk show? And this was in 2015. And, you know, Spark, uh, sorry, Star Talk was very big mm-hmm. with Neil deGrasse Tyson. This was before all the allegations. <laughs> um, and so I was listening to Star Talk. It was the only podcast I listened to. I just started listening to podcasts um, like six years ago. 
And I said, yeah, we can do something like that. I want something to be conversational. I want something to be fun. Um, I had a co-host. It was my friend from growing up and he was doing improv at the time. And we would just interview people. And the first year, um, the local radio station had people who were skilled, right? Like they helped me with the audio. They helped with the editing. And I soon found a student who wanted to learn how to edit. So there was one Western student. The woman who approached me is named Suzanne Blaze. She's amazing. She has like three decades of media experience, but she also works at Western. She works in the media department and the video department at Western. So we had this Western connection and I was like, why can't we just keep these and put them out like podcasts? And she's like, yeah, let's do that. And after about a year, I started turning into a producer. I started working with her. My student learned way more about editing. Then I got more students to edit. Um, I was able to give students um, independent study credit to like be part of this show. Um, and then after about three, three years, um, I approached Western, Univer uh, Western Washington University to help me like support it. And yeah, they absorbed it. Um, um, we kind of went from very Western centric. So I no longer have that improv um, co-host and it's just me and I have a crew now. And, it, and again, it's Suzanne who still works at Western and still volunteers less so, but at the local radio station. So the show airs on a local radio station and is a podcast and the web support, the editing and um, and some of the promotion is helped out by Western. With this theme of exploring stories of human curiosity. Um, so just to give a, a our listeners a sense for the podcast, some of the recent episode topics are mRNA vaccines, perseverance in the Martian clock, conservation in Zambia, and how humans interact with scientific information, which are a lot of very broad topics. And yeah. um, I, I've started listening to the show and I've really been enjoying the episodes. So you have a, you have a new oh, listener now. Uh, now I have, now I have eight, you have eight listeners. All right. <laughs> well, when you pair it up with my eight listeners, you'll have 16 at the end of this. So wow. <laughs> I used to joke all the time. The first season, I, I used to say like, Oh, my eight listeners. And I used to get comments that like, you have more than eight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, I had a question here. Um, so what, what are some of the common themes that, that you bring forward in many of these episodes? What kind of, is there anything that sort of ties them yeah. together? Yeah, they, they all share this, almost all of them share the same format. Some of them are slightly different, like if we're like covering the March for Science or something. So that would be very specific because we're interviewing the, the speakers at that, you know, protest or something like that. But most of the, the shows follow the same format. And that's um, the first, it's in three chunks. The first chunk is really going into the guests' uh, background. Why did they go into this field? So I've, I've interviewed sci-fi authors too. So like, why did you go into this field of, sci you know, becoming an author? I've, I've interviewed um, Rick Larson, who is one of our congressmen. And I'm like, why did you, you know, go into politics? Like why, you know, why do you like science? Right. So I try to, I try to humanize the guests, especially if they're like condensed matter physicist or something, you really want to humanize somebody mm -hmm. like that, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, <laughs> but you want to, you, you know, you lead with the hook that we're going to be talking about the COVID vaccine or something, but, and then for, so recently I, I interviewed a biologist and almost all of them are like people I know too. So that's why all the subjects are all crazy and different. Um, so the first half, you know, the first chunk is background. The second chunk is really like the meat of the story, right? You can think about this as like journalism. Um, it's like, we're talking about the COVID-19 um, vaccine, like 
we're talking about mRNA and why that's different from other vaccines. Why does it have to be kept at cold temperatures, that kind of stuff. And then the last half is usually like two chunks and <laughs> kind of breaks off. The last chunk is, is either talking about the future of the field or talking about pop culture or both. Right. So I really, really love pop culture. Like I am obsessed with so many fandoms. Mm -hmm. Like you say a fandom, I've, I know a lot about it, right? And we, I can relate probably any subject to something in pop culture. <laughs> and um, sometimes that gets cut because I have guests that are like, I don't watch TV. Okay. <laughs> and then I can't, and I, I, can't I, I don't even know how to proceed from that. So, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's the theme that goes through. And, and I really do, when I say humanized scientists, I really try to showcase scientists that don't fit that scientist stereotype. Like, I think we all know, like, hopefully we all know back to the future, like doc Brown, how he's this, like he's an engineer and he's a chemist and he's an astronomer and he's a geologist and he's an inventor. Like, like, because as a scientist, the myth is that we can do anything. Mm -hmm. We like know all sciences, like we're doctors too. And we can like do appendicitis, you know, surgery. Um, and, and he has crazy hair and he's a white guy. And, you know, like I just really, really try hard to have most of my guests not fit that stereotype right because i want our my listeners and the audience to know that they're you know scientists are everybody we're all we could be your neighbor right so do you start um, do you start the interviews with what are you i do i do <laughs> and they're like i'm a physicist well no and that, that's leading back to what we were talking about before right with that question that you get asked it's like what are you is like and so you're trying yeah. to you're trying to humanize the the scientist as well so you know, yeah. that's, that's definitely a theme through, through your work that I can see, whether you're doing the, the inclusion piece or it's, it's, you're, you're sort of doing that, that here. Um, but in, I guess, as you were saying, in a fun way that people want to learn, you, they want to learn about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, scientists are these mythical creatures, right. <laughs> um, and uh, to, to, to a lot of people who don't know scientists and to make sure you know that they have another identity that isn't just a scientist. So this goes back to what we were talking about before, like many people have many identities and that's really hard for a lot of people to get if they haven't really delved into that yet. And um, so like, yeah, that this scientist is not just, you know, Doc Brown from Back to the Future, but he's also, you know, he also likes to paint and he also likes to do these things. So I, I like, yeah, I like to humanize people and, uh, make them less mythical. And I, I do that too in inclusion work, but it's way more painful. Mm, yeah. <laughs> do you have any particular favorite episodes and, and what made them special? <laughs> yeah, that's what people ask a lot of. I would say a lot of the episodes from the first season are really good because we were really focused and I had a lot more help. <laughs> but um, one of the, uh, the second episode, I believe, was with an astronaut. We have a whole bunch of astronauts that live here, here in Bellingham. We have at least three that I know of. Um, and she was great. We talked about how people poop in space and she brought it up. She was like, yeah, this is the question I get. <laughs> um, the, the third episode was um, about, you know, African-American sci-fi writers from the 1900s. Right. And so this is like it's about speculative fiction. So when people think of early science fiction, they think of like H.G. Wells and they think of like, um, you know, very stuff that we, you know, Frankenstein, stuff like that but they don't think about like the ideas for Wakanda were in stories, you know, at, in 1930. Right. And so like we had a professor who teaches that at Western mm -hmm. and we had her and that was so great. Um, 
one of my one of my best friends, Melissa Rice, is um, Dr. Melissa Rice, is a NASA team member. She's she teaches uh, geophysics um, at Western, but she also works on the Curiosity rover and in the Perseverance rover. And she's been on the show. I don't even know how many times now. We call her the Steve Martin mm-hmm. of Spark Science. <laughs> Um, because she comes on and she talks about the missions because everyone wants to know about Mars. So I just have a lot of really favorite shows. Um, we have one show where I went to Vancouver Island and I actually did marine ecology like field work for a day. And, you know, you hear me, you hear the sand, you hear me digging for clams and stuff. And that's a really good one, too. We Because I don't get paid for this, really, <laughs> I have the freedom to do whatever the heck I want. Right. And um, I just try new things. It's it's really fun. We have a, over 110 episodes. Um, some not not posted yet, but um, so if there's if there's something you like about science, it could be science fiction. It could be science policy. It could be um, the science of smell. It could be a review of Inside Out. We did that with a neuroscientist. Mm, mm-hmm. You'll find the episode there. Like we've done medical anthropology, right? Like kinesiology. We've done a show on kinesiology. Like we have so many different things anyone's going to be happy with at least one of the shows. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm definitely going to include uh, links to that in my show notes as well. So folks can go, go and check it out. My, I know I have more than eight listeners and, and I, I thank you for listening (laughs) and I I totally appreciate you. (laughs) And I know you have more than eight listeners as well. I've, I've seen, I've seen the podcast downloads on Podbean. So I, I know you've got more than that. As we start to bring our conversation to a close, are there, are there any concrete actions that our listeners could take to bring more attention and awareness to STEM inclusion in their schools and institutions or to more broadly to help make science more accessible for everyone? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say as as somebody who like, you know, I'd never had a real job. It's just been academia, right? Like, I, you know, I've been in school or working in one since I was in, in higher ed since I was 16, you know, and I am one of, you know, I was bred in this world of kind of academia and it's a bit elitist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think if we are honest with ourselves and even me, I'm a bit elitist. Um, if we're honest with ourselves of how we kind of present our field and present our, our careers and, and our, and our work to students and even to other colleagues, there's a lot of posturing. There's a lot of like jargon. There's a lot of um, self-importance and, I think if no one has actually realized that in themselves, they should start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she should at least think about it, right? Because um, that is the one of the things that turns off so many people from science. It's that they don't feel they belong here, right? Yeah. And and it's it's so complicated. But one of the things we can help is like we we can look inward. What are we projecting that makes it seem like they don't, right? And um, like I have so many things like, oh, you're a physicist. You're too smart for me to talk to. Right. Or you've been at a party where people you, like people, people find out you're a physicist and they just like walk, walk away. You know, like <laughs> um, it's they have nothing to talk to you about because they don't think we have, you know, any hobbies outside of physics or we can talk, you know, with a normal person. Get, you know, get rid of your jargon. Um, really analyze what you watch. Like if the only thing you watch is PBS expand, <laughs> like watch something else. You know, there was somebody who said, if you're not watching TV or if you're not actually aware at the very least aware of what is going on in popular culture, then you're completely missing any kind of connection you could have with your students. I'm aware of what's happening outside of 
physics, right? Or even outside of my specific field of like globular cluster research, right? And that's what I did for your listeners <laughs> for a PhD. <laughs> I worked with Hubble Space Telescope images and studied extragalactic globular clusters. Um, you have to you have to expand your your bubble because if you don't like. There's nothing I can say to you. There's no tips or tricks or equation to use to have you help make a new, like a better community. There's nothing you can physically do unless you look inward first. That's what I would say. Yeah. One of the comments you had made earlier was that that you don't think people are malicious. And and while that's probably very true, it's I think it's the awareness piece um, that I think most yeah. people haven't haven't thought about these these questions that you've brought up. And that we just need to, yeah, turn the spotlight in and get some awareness on where is all that coming from. Well, I can give you an example. As, as a physics instructor, I've run into so many students who are like, oh, this is all, this is, I've done this before in high school. Or I've had a physics professor go, didn't you learn this in sixth grade? Right. Mm. Haven't you ever had a professor who said that? Like, didn't you already know this? Right. And it's this kind of posturing to be like, you should already know this. And if you don't, you're stupid. And I know that nobody's actually said that, but that's the air a lot of us physics educators give, you know, you should already know this, but how, how do they know this? Right. Um, and I think if I had, you know, that's making people feel like they don't belong, <laughs> period. That's like one thing that we can stop doing. Where can everyone learn more about your work and your podcast? They can go to sparksciencenow.com and that's everything that you need to know about spark science. Um, my work, you can go to uh, cse.ww.edu. That's the College of Science and Engineering's main site. There's an inclusion page and I do a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I am going to have a website, my own website. It's scienceregina.com. It's actually going to be live tomorrow. So all right. Well, Regina, thank you so much for for coming on Physics Alive and speaking with me about these these topics that you're very knowledgeable about and passionate about. And I know it's 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 challenging, probably soul wrenching work at times. And and I thank you for for everything that you offer. Thanks. I watched a lot of TV. That's how I yeah, how I deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Again, thank you so much, Regina for speaking with me, for being candid and honest, and for helping to facilitate conversations that are hard. More and more, the world seems to be waking up to how we've been treating our fellow humans. There's a long way to go still, and our egos will have to get chewed up and spit out along the way. We all need to listen to each other to truly hear what others are experiencing and acknowledge where we haven't been acting in the best interests of everyone. In even sharing my questions with Regina before the interview, she pointed to a question that othered her, and I was confronted with my own white male privilege before the interview even started. My response could have been a defensive one. That's usually the voice that kicks in first for most of us. I certainly respond defensively much too often. But this time, I listened and realized that she was absolutely right. I think we all have a lot of bias and unconsciousness to unroot. But if we're all willing to do that work to shine the spotlight on all of our muck, then a more inclusive and equitable world awaits us. To that end, I have a few related episodes scheduled later this summer. One is with StepUp, a community of physics teachers, researchers, and professional societies that design high school physics lessons to empower teachers, create cultural change, 
and inspire young women to pursue physics in college. Another is with Karen Catlin, a leadership coach and acclaimed author and speaker on inclusive workplaces. She coaches women to be stronger leaders and men to be better allies for members of all underrepresented groups. But getting back to today's episode, to learn more about Regina, her work, and her podcast, check out the show notes, either by scrolling down on your podcast app or by visiting physicsalive.com slash Regina. If you hear this episode when it comes out, then one of the links in the notes will help you register for the May 26th, 2021 Sea Change webinar on Community Ambassadors. After that date, the link will take you to the recorded webinar, if it's available. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Physics Alive podcast so that you can stay up to date with each episode as it comes out. You can also find updates at Physics Alive on Twitter and Physics Alive page on Facebook. Comments, questions, suggestions? Send to brad at physicsalive.com. Thanks again for listening in, and I hope you've been inspired to try something new. Your homework assignment? Listen to an episode of Spark Science. Yay for science! Please join me again for the next episode of Physics Alive. Until then, may you ever look inward for ways to help everyone feel included and welcome, and be well.